You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Stories of Jesus, New Life, and a New Family. In this series, we see that those who respond to the stories of Jesus are welcomed into the family of God, receiving new identity, new power, and new purpose. Then he added, Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? And they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except for his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sojourn, and peace be with you. Uh, my name's Stephen. I'm the family pastor here at Sojourn. It's an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we've got a small staffing change happening over in our kids' department. Uh, Lauren Sims, if you know Lauren, has been our kids' coordinator uh, for a long time, for over two years, and she uh, now has a full-time job over in Louisville. And so uh, we are going to try to bring her up here and embarrass her, but she's not here right now because she's serving over in Sojourn Kids. So uh, she'll, um, she's transitioning right now. We've hired Chrissy Smith. If you know Chrissy, she's run our VVS for the past couple of years. Yeah, it's really exciting. You can applaud. Uh, she's done a great job, and uh, we look forward to bringing her on staff and uh, having her here. So if you see Lauren, uh, tell her uh, you're thankful for all the work she's done. She's the reason that we have kids in the class, or uh, adults, not kids. You guys bring the kids. Uh, adults in the classrooms, when there's any scheduling stuff going on, she's the one making the phone calls, the text, and making that happen. Uh, and she's handing that off to Lauren, and, uh, or she's handing it off to Chrissy, because Lauren is the one who's doing it right now. That's the thing. Um, but... Uh, just tell her thanks. Uh, she did a great job. And it's really hard work. It's the, it's the reason that people tend to step back from kids' ministry uh, professionally is because it's just really hard to get volunteers. And she's been grinding away for two years. And so just tell her thank you for all the work that she's done. So with that in mind, we are flipping over. We are in the book of Matthew. And if you've been with us, uh, we've been talking about how this idea in the chapter 13, how revelation brings separation. This idea that God shows us who the people of God are, and then he shows us who's in and who's out. And it's a great thing that God is showing us this. Matthew's outlining this for us. Um, but that brings us the question of, am I in? Uh, it's one thing to think about it in the abstract of somebody out there being in and you being in, but the idea that we have to come home and wrestle with this idea is, am I one of the people? Am I in the kingdom of God? Uh, very simply put, am I a Christian? And I didn't think you were allowed to ask that question uh, because growing up, that was just not something you did. Uh, but it was when I was 14 uh, and I took a mission trip to Canada that uh, I started to wrestle with this. So we got up to Canada and we were up there to tell those people about Jesus. 
And I thought the kingdom of heaven had come on earth because I found out they put gravy on french fries. And was like, this is it. We found the kingdom of heaven. It was north. Uh, and then uh, I found out they put cheese curds on the gravy on the french fries. And I was like, Satanists. Uh, we got so close. Uh, so we were up there uh, sharing the gospel. And we went to a small worship service uh, with a bunch of college students. And, you know, it's real intimate. It's just a guy with a guitar. Everybody packed in real tight. And it was a young guy preaching. And I can remember it was amazing because he got up on the edge of the stage as he was preaching, like got his toes like right here. And he would stand like in a squat. And he would preach like this while he's like slamming his Bible. Had big hand motions. And he like sat like this. Uh, And it's just like all this energy coming off the stage. And uh, you could just like, you know, 14-year-old Baptist kid. It was just like, yes, this is it. Um, but then as he got going, I got this like PTSD feeling um, because I knew where he was going, which is the call to salvation, which always is, do you know that you know that you know that you know? And as a 14-year-old, this is the first time that I was like, I, well, I mean, I know, but do I know that I know that I know? And it started this kind of just stressful, I, I don't even... Um, I couldn't figure out if I was in. I didn't know. It was this existential crisis as a 14-year-old, and I didn't know what to do with it. Because I started to think, well, maybe I'm in, but maybe I'm just, I think that I'm in because I'm just trying to make my parents happy. Or, or maybe I believe this Christian thing because it's easy for me to do because I'm a good kid, and everybody else like, gives me praise for doing this. Maybe I'm just doing this for the praise of man. Oh, man. And then like the whole, you know, then you get the Bible verse thrown on top of that, which is, you know, Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things who can plummet steps. That's like, maybe I don't even know. Maybe, maybe I don't believe. Maybe I've just deceived myself. And so I was like, I don't know that I know that I know. And because I didn't know that I know that I know, I wasn't sure if I was a Christian. But I was the Christian youth group kid, and I was too ashamed to bring that to anybody. And so every summer when I would be around a pastor who didn't know me at like youth camp, I'd be like, how do you know if you're in? And they would always be like, well, do you believe? And I was like, I think so. And they'd be like, well, if you believe and follow Jesus, the Bible says that you're saved. And it's like, but how do you know if you know? Like, I just, and it was so stressful for me. And it wasn't until I was later in my walk as a 20-year-old where I started to do some research on this and found out that struggling with the assurance of, do you believe? Are you really saved? That's a thing. That's a struggle that Christians for ages have had. And I didn't realize this because everybody in my circle was telling me, you got to know that you know that you know. But, I mean, here are the, like, the big guys, the big guns. If you know John Calvin, he wrote this big book called The Institutes. And here's what he says about the idea of assurance of faith. He says, we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety, believers are in perpetual conflict with their own unbelief. John Calvin, big-time guy, says, you can't necessarily know because there's always going to be some doubt there. Here's the other guy, my Presbyterian friends, if you guys like the Westminster Catechism, here's what the Westminster Catechism says about this. This infallible assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. This is what it means. You may have assurance of faith. You may not. And for me, that was like, oh my. I can ask this question. That's allowed. I can, 
I can wonder if I'm a Christian and still be a Christian? And this was shocking. And then, you know, if you want your Bible verse to back it up, look at 1 Corinthians 2.12. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now the key word there is might understand. For my Greek friends out there, that is a subjunctive term, which means we hope or we wish. This meaning, like this understanding that if you have the Holy Spirit, you might get it, you might understand. Right? It's not a certainty, right? And so now all of a sudden there's some, some give here where it's like you could be a Christian and not know that you know. You could just hope. You could just believe, maybe, and have faith. And so now all of a sudden, I'm starting to try to figure out, okay, well, what, what do we do? How do if, I, if I can ask the question, how do I know if I'm in, where do I go to find the answer? And I think that's where we can come to this passage this morning. Is we have Matthew 13, and this, the way we've cut it up is that Jesus is ending this section with what's called a capstone parable, where he ends with a parable. And so Matthew is showing us, here's, I'm going to show you what Jesus is, or he's telling us, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus said. And then he shows us, through the next story, a negative example of what it looks like for somebody who's not in. So he says, this is what it looks like to be in, and then he says, this is what it would look like if you're not in. And so, let's take a look at this. It starts out with this idea, he says, Jesus says to his disciples, do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. So I love how this starts out because what Jesus is saying is, do you understand? It's very simply, do you understand? So that's the first question I want us to ask ourselves. Do we understand? Because what you see throughout whole of 13 is Jesus has set up this idea of understanding as a way of being in the kingdom. Those who are in understand, right? So if you flip back in Matthew chapter 13, he said this. He said, you replied, you are permitted, he's talking to the disciples here, you, the disciples, are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So, the disciples understand. He's been telling these parables. Those who understand are in. So, Jesus then asks them, do you understand? Or if you're a David S. Pumpkins fan, any questions? And he asks them that, and so they know if they say yes, that they're in. But if they say no, that means they're out. So what do you think they say? Yes, we get it. Now here's the thing. If you keep following the disciples, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus tells another parable, and Peter pulls him aside, and he's like, hey, uh, Jesus, what does that mean? And Jesus says, don't you understand yet? And so there's this sense where they said, yes, we get it, but actually they didn't. And here's what's even funnier, I think, about this particular passage about being understanding and being in. Jesus follows this up with a parable about if you understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven and you understand the old teaching of the law, then you have new treasures and you have old treasures and you can bring them out of your storeroom, right? And all these commentaries that I read about this whole thing, they're like, yeah, nobody really knows what he's talking about there. We have some ideas, but uh, we don't really get it. 
So even this parable that he's explaining to say, do you understand you're in? We're not really sure what he's saying. So you have all of these people, the disciples, new commentary saying, to understand, we understand that Jesus is saying, if you understand, you're in. But the disciples and modern day commentators are like, we don't quite get it. So now we have to ask ourselves this question. Okay, well, we under, like Jesus says understanding means you're in. It's an indication. Okay, well, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, if you look at it logically, right, we have Jesus say um, in John chapter 14 that he's going to send his spirit to give you understanding. And then we have Romans chapter 8 that says if you have the spirit, you're saved. So we have these two things. We have an in indication that you're saved if you understand because that understanding comes from the spirit and if you have the spirit then you're saved so when jesus says if you understand you have a storeroom of good things he's saying if you understand you're in but that doesn't necessarily mean you're for sure in because you see this problem with understanding is sometimes we think we understand and sometimes we miss it sometimes think we have this idea and then sometimes it's gone. And so you have to step back a little bit and say, okay, I understand. Jesus, I understand the life and work of Jesus. I understand his resurrection. I understand what that means for me. But just because you understand it doesn't mean you put it into practice. And so there's, there's a volitional, there's a will aspect to understanding. So if you ask yourself, do I understand? And the answer is yes. Okay, that's a great indication. That's a great indication that you're in. That means there's an indication that the Holy Spirit is living within you. But if you have that understanding and you don't put it into practice, that's a good indication that you're out. And so Jesus shows us that example. So Matthew writes in his, his story, in the end of chapter 13, he writes a story of people who get it, they understand, and yet they choose not to believe. All right, so let's read this part. Right? So he goes home. Let's see what happens here. It says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. So again, Matthew has told us, if you understand, you're in. And now he's showing us, these people understand. They see the miracles that Jesus has done. They understand he's really wise. But because they know him, they know where he's from, they choose not to follow him. So they have understanding but they don't have a will to understand. So I want you to think about it like this. Imagine this story with me. You're from a small-ish town in Mississippi. And it's a town, everybody knows everybody, and you go to kind of like a medium-sized church, kind of like this one. And there's a large family there. They've got seven kids, the Jones, uh, and their oldest kid is named Josh. Uh, and everybody loves Josh. He's a great kid. Um, he's real level-headed. He's real sharp. He understands the Bible really well, and everybody thinks, you know, this kid, he could really be something someday. Uh, but he decides, you know what, he's just going to do what Dad did. He's going to be a, an auto mechanic, 
And so he's not a mechanic. He graduates. He just does what dad does until he's about 25. And then he decides he's just going to go out and see the world. And, you know, everybody in church kind of wishes him well, but you kind of know, like, man, he could have been something. He could have really done something. Um, and so he leaves, and you don't hear much from about him for about five years. Then all of a sudden, Twitter starts lighting up. Uh, and it's this book by this guy named uh, John, and, uh, and John's written this book called The New Way. And everybody kind of, it's like, it's real divisive. Some people love it, some people hate it. And, and usually it's kind of these real religious people that are kind of like, they're not really sure what to do with this guy, John. Um, and then you find out that Josh is John's pastor. And you're like, oh man, that's pretty cool. And so then you start looking into this a little bit more, and all of a sudden you find out there's been some weird stuff going around Josh. Um, it, it's just kind of like small town newspaper stuff that kind of gets picked up. You see it on a Facebook feed, but it, it kind of feels like fake news. But there are these stories that he like went to a, a hospital... And this lady touched him, and it cured her cancer. There's this other story that he met this Marine coming back who had PTSD, and he prayed for him, and the PTSD just kind of went away. And then there, there's this other weird story where this guy came to him to talk to him about like his, his sick servant, you know, and this guy who was working for him. And, and when he went back home, the guy had gotten better at the same time that this guy had been talking to Josh. Now, again, it's like, it's just, it's weird. It's not miraculous, right? It's just kind of coincidental. But it, it's just some weird stuff going around around him. And then you find out that Josh's mom has invited him to come back to town. And then you find out he's going to be at church that Sunday because the pastor has invited him to preach Sunday night. So you think, all right, well, let's just, let's go see what's going on, right? And so you get up that morning, you got a cough. And you think about not going because, you know, you just don't want to give it away to everybody. But your wife really wants to go, so you go. So you're in there, and uh, you, you get to church that night, and everybody's waiting around, and he's late. Josh is late. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, we invite you to come here. I can't believe you just wouldn't show up on time. But then all of a sudden, in this kind of old beat-up car, rolls in, and Josh hops out, and you recognize him. You know, he looks good, a little kind of hippie-ish. Rough around the edges, looks like he's kind of been living on the road. Uh, but then he has three interns with him, and oh man, those interns look rough. Like big tattoos, long hair, like they look really rough around the edges. And so they're, they're walking in with him, and you think, oh man, what's going to happen? And so they, they come in, and he, he gets into the pulpit, and he starts preaching, and he's on fire. He just knows, like, it's like he's got the Bible memorized, and it's like he's explaining it in a way that you've never heard before. And he's just lighting it up, and you're just kind of amazed. But then, as he's explaining it, he starts to do this thing that we call, in the old country, he goes from preaching to meddling. And he starts poking at things that are a little bit of the, the sacred cows. And he starts talking about racial inequality. And then he starts talking about income inequality. And then he starts talking about how people are spending their money. And he starts to point out these, these ways that people are greedy. And it's kind of weird because he starts explaining a budget. If somebody spent their money like that, that'd be a pretty greedy way to spend their money. And you realize he's talking about your budget. And then he starts calling the pastor a legalist. 
And at that point, you noticed, like everybody's looking down, and cell phones start going off. That text message group that you're a part of gets lit up. And you use that cough you've got, you're like, you mute your phone real quick, and you're like, ugh. And you see the pastor up front looking down, and he's kind of rubbing his eyebrows now and rubbing his lips, like, how do we, how do we go on from here? Josh finishes up. He gets down. Everybody's just kind of like shaking their heads. The pastor gets up there, and he's like, uh, well, there that was, and uh, we're going to have a, an ice cream fellowship afterwards to welcome Josh back home. And you're like, I am not sticking around for that, because that's going to be awkward. And so you decide, as everybody's heading back towards the fellowship hall, you're going to roll out the front door. And as you're walking out, it's that long hallway towards that back entrance, and you have your head down, all of a sudden you know, notice Josh is walking towards the door. He's got his interns with him. And you're like, oh dear. Um, and so you do the thing where you keep your head down, and you pretend like you don't see anybody, and you do the dumb thing where you look up to make sure they're not looking, and he's just got his eyes laser beamed right on you. And you just, it's like a tractor beam, it's just like, and you just can't look away. And so you're like drawn in. And you get there, and he, and he says, hey, and you, you kind of <clears throat> cough, you know, to be like, I'm, I'm sick. And he sticks his hand out, and you're like, you're trying not to shake his hand, but he's just got it out there, and he's just leveled in on you. And so, you, you know, you, you stick your hand out there. You're really not sure what to say, so you just said, glad you're doing well. And he grabs your hand, he looks you right in the eye, and just holds it for a second. And he says, blessings. Pats you on the shoulder, and he walks out. He gets in his car, lights come on, he drives off down the dark road, you see the lights fade. And as you're sitting there trying to figure out, like, what is his deal, you realize your cough is gone. I know that's not a direct analogy for what it would have been like, but that's the sort of idea of understanding but not being willing to understand. And all of us do that. We all have something that God is, is pricking our consciences. We understand something and we choose not to do it. We all know the good we ought to do and we don't do it. And sometimes it's because we know where that information is from. You feel that prick in your conscience to do something and you're like, you know, that, that just sounds like just like what my dad would do. And I, I'm just not going to be like him. Even though you know you should do that. And so because you know that's where that's from, you're like, I'm not doing it. Or you hear some news article and it pricks your conscience about some way, some way that you're behaving or some way that you should engage with society. And you think, no, 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 that's, that's the liberal news media. I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to pay attention to that. It's the liberal left. I don't have to deal with that. Or it's the conservative agenda. I don't have to listen. Even though there's just something deep inside you that's like, I need, I need to pay attention to that. Or maybe it's your kid. Have you ever been convicted by a child? that they tell you something that you should be doing. Mom, why do you keep talking about that lady like that? Dad, why are you always taking naps? I mean, they just don't understand. They're just a child. They, didn't, they don't get it. And we choose not to understand. We choose not to believe what we know is to be true. And that's what Jesus 
is what he's experiencing is these people experienced the knowledge and the power of the God of the universe, and they said, he's from our town. We don't have to listen to this. And they didn't believe. The hard part for us is that is us. We choose not to believe. So what do we do? It makes it, it's like, maybe sometimes I understand, maybe I don't. Maybe I, sh- I like, I want, I have, like, I'm willing to believe, but sometimes I'm not. So I think we have to answer this third question, which is, do you want to be willing to understand? And here's, here's what I mean. Look at the very last part of this. It says, and so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. In the book of Mark, the same story is told, and we learn that Mark says, he, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles except heal a few people, which is kind of like, so healing people is not a miracle? I mean, but there's this idea that these people chose not to believe. They said, we're not going to do this. And yet Jesus brought salvation there anyway. And yet the writer seemed to be indicating their faith mattered. How much they believed mattered. And so you have these, these two, two seemingly supposing contrary ideas. That maybe faith is required to be saved. Understanding and action is required. Like Jesus says in Luke 17, 19, he says, your faith has healed you. But then in Matthew 9, a demon-possessed man who was antagonistic to Jesus, who didn't want anything to do with him, was healed. And then we learn with faith, as little as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And that one man who came to Jesus and said, I, I believe, help my unbelief, his daughter got healed. So if we're asking ourselves the question of, like, how much faith do I need to be saved? The Bible seems to be saying here, you need a little bit. But then I think it's also seeming to back up this idea that you see in Romans 12.3, which says, let each man act according to the measure of faith that he's been given. Your faith is a gift. So if you're sitting there thinking, gosh, like... Sometimes I think I understand, and sometimes I think I don't. And, and I want to follow Jesus, but sometimes I just, I don't, I don't know if I can. I think the question that, that we have to answer is, do you want to be willing to understand? And I think there are two postures that we have to be careful against that are really temp- tempting to us. Um, the first posture is this idea of saying, I've totally got this figured out, I understand everything, and there's nothing anybody needs to teach me. At that posture, it seems to be that you're indicating, like, my, I am what's going to save me. My understanding is what's going to save me. And that's not true. Jesus is who saves you. The other posture that you have to be careful of, and I don't think it's probably true of anybody in this room because you're here this morning, Uh, but it's the posture of saying, this is stupid. All this Jesus stuff is ridiculous. And that posture, you're just simply saying, I know better than God. 
And so this morning, I just want you to be, I want you to be aware that it's okay for you to say, man, I, I just don't know if I have faith, but I sure want it. And at that point, I think we can rely on what John 6 says, and that's that the Father draws those who he wants to draw. And if you say, I want to believe, that to me is an evidence that the mustard seed of faith has been given to you. So this morning, if you're just like, man, I've got doubts, and I'm just, I'm just not sure. I just, I don't know. I, I try to do good, and I can't. But I want to believe. I want to understand. Trust that God is being good, and he's drawing you to himself. On the other hand, and this is the real hard one, maybe you're one of those people, you're like, if Jesus loved me, if he really did, then why would he let all this happen to me? Why would he let, you guys missed the testimony this morning, but why would he let my dad get cancer when I'm 11 and die? Like, God, where are you? You can take that to him. You can take those doubts to him. He's big enough to handle that. And you say, I want to believe, but this whole situation has made it nearly impossible. Where are you? You can actually say that to God. That's what Psalm 89 is. And so this morning, I just, I want you to be okay leaving here saying, I so want to believe, I trust that Jesus saves me, and to rest. So this morning, if you're just wondering, like, am I in? I, I don't know if I'm in. Well, let's boil it down again. Let's ask those three questions. Do you understand? Does the life and work of Jesus, does it make sense to you? Are you willing to follow him? Which then leads to that next question, are you willing to understand? You understand his work, but are you willing to put your hands and feet behind that? Are you willing to trust him with your life to say, he said to live this way, so I will, because I understand what he's done for me. And then if you look at your life and you're like, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, then take rest in this idea of Jesus brings salvation when he wants to bring it. So if you want to be willing to understand, that's an indication that that smallest measure of faith has been a gift that's been given to you. And ultimately, that's what we want to rest on. It's not that it's our understanding, that it's not our good works, but it's Jesus who we rest on. We rest on his work and what he's done for us, and we celebrate that every week with communion. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, I invite you to come forward. Uh, and if you're asking yourself, am I in, should I come forward? Ask yourself, do I want to understand do I want to be willing to understand? Do I want to trust Jesus? Then come forward and take communion, not because you're good enough, 
not because you believe enough, but because he was good enough. And that's what we celebrate. Uh, we'll have communion stations up here, two up front, two in the back, one on my left, your right. Uh, we do communion by ripping off a piece of the bread and dipping it in wine or juice. Uh, the wine has a piece of twine around it. Uh, and as I pray, our music and our ushers will come forward. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.